Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. And now, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, first, Henry Kissinger writes in the Los Angeles Times about the value of the Olympics. And he is identified by the Los Angeles Times, they still have one, as, quote, an honor member of the International Olympic Committee. You can be a war criminal and do that. He writes, humanity has never lived under a single unified world order. When it has been maintained at all, order has been achieved only within the shifting bounds of limited regions. Even then, there have been inevitable tensions and class clashes. But one bright spot at global relations has endured for more than a century, the Olympic Games. Under the auspices of the Games, the nations of the world come together despite the differences in culture and history. In the peaceful competition of the Olympics, the achievement of one nation encourages the efforts of others, spurring all to new heights in human excellence. The Olympic Games offer a glimpse of a wider truth. The presence of competition doesn't necessitate the advent of conflict. The countries of the world are today inextricably linked. They will continue to affect each other, and in some places, compete. Some see this as a challenge. But the Olympic Games can be a valuable symbol of how to compete in a peaceful way. In my view, the Games present a lens in which to look beyond this moment in history and focus on building bonds that enhance mutual understanding, promote peace, and drive our shared pursuit of the many forms of human greatness. Unquote Henry Kissinger, who's on tape many times with Richard Nixon advocating for the prolongation of the Vietnam War until after the 1972 election. He knows about human greatness. The 2028 Olympic Games should turn a record $1 billion profit, according to the Los Angeles mayor, Eric Garcetti. I believe it to be very realist realistic, he said. There's no question we will be in the high hundreds of millions. So file this, won't you? For the future, such a surplus would be unprecedented in the history of the Olympics, says the LA Times. Again, in an era when high costs have scared off cities from bidding to host the Games. The latest L.A. 2028 budget, meanwhile, has risen to $6.9 billion. Garcetti said he considered the L.A. 2028 estimates of ticket revenue to be conservative. Um, glad something is. The International Olympic Committee is promising changes to how the Olympic Games are awarded this week, the IOC voted to give the Italian cities of Milan and Cortina the 2026 Winter Olympics. And the IOC voted to reform the way host cities are chosen. The Games may be hosted in several cities or countries at the same time. Co-hosts, like we used to have on TV. Host cities may be invited or may be, may be chosen without competition. Or drafted. <laughs> no, really. Really? The IOC wants to avoid the negative reports that often come with hosting the Olympic Games. Local people often face higher taxes and, le and costly stadiums that are left unused when the Games are over. The committee has been angered by recent public votes in Europe and Canada that rejected the Olympics. Now the IOC wants cities and countries to show public approval before asking to host the Games. We cannot continue to be damaged as we have in the past, said an IOC member who presented the reforms. 
Further Olympic cities will be required to use existing and temporary venues. Costly building projects will not be encouraged. But if you want, IOC President Thomas Bach wants to avoid, quote, too many losers. It's a movement, and we all need one every day. Hello, welcome to the show. Here's to those who love not too wisely, no, not too wisely, but too well. To the girl who sighs with envy when she hears that wedding bell. To the guy who'd throw a party if he knew someone to call. Here's to the losers, bless them all. Here's to those who drink their dinners when that lady doesn't show. To the girls who wait for kisses underneath that mistletoe. To the lonely summer lovers when the leaves begin to fall. Here's to the losers, I bless them all. Hey, Tom, Dick, and Harry, coming out of the rain. Those torches you carry must be drowned in champagne. Here's the last toast of the evening. Here's to those who still believe. All the losers will be winners. All the givers shall receive. Here's to trouble-free tomorrows May your sorrows all be small Here's to the losers I bless them all Hey, Tom, Dick, and Harry you carry must be drowned in champagne here's the last toast of the evening here's to those who still believe all the losers will be winners all the givers shall receive here's to trouble free tomorrows may your sorrows all be small here's to the losers From Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, see if you can find the common thread between these next two stories. My secrets, no secrets anymore. The British spy agency, MI5, has lost control of its data storage operations and has been obtaining surveillance warrants on the basis of information 
it knows to be false. That uh, testimony has been presented to the British High Court. The security agency, MI5, has been accused of, quote, extraordinary and persistent illegality. An illegal challenge brought by a human rights organization, Liberty. The failures have been identified by the official watchdog, the Investigatory Powers Commissioner, Lord Justice Fulford, and admitted in outline by the Home Secretary, Sajid Javid. The full extent of the problems within MI5 became apparent in disclosures made public at the hearing this week. The revelations relate to bulk interceptions of data acquired through surveillance and hacking programs downloaded to the agency's computers. The agency has a duty to ensure such material is not held longer than required or copied more often than needed. But there were ungoverned spaces in MI5's operations, according to Liberty, where it did not know what it held. An MI5 letter sent to the uh, commissioner, the investigatory powers, powers commissioner, Lord Justice Fulford, and released to the court, said the agency did not know what material it held. We're about to commence further scanning the computers to ensure we have a full understanding of the data. We have also been seeking to understand working practices so we can take comprehensive action to improve assurance of our compliance with relevant safeguards. Never too late, Department. Awareness of the problems within MI5 dated back to January 2016. Members of the Cabinet were not informed until earlier this year. Uh, compliance, Lord Justice Fulford, Lord Justice Fulford, yeah, that's him, said MI5's description of the problem as a compliance as compliance difficulties was a, quote, misleading euphemism, unquote. In the absence of improvements, he said future applications by MI5 for interception warrants, quote, will not be approved by the judicial commissioners. Judicial, judicial commissioners, unquote. A response sent by MI5 to him earlier this year explained, in 2016, as part of a wider review of legal compliance, the problem led the team conducting the compliance review to identify at a high level the data might be being held in ungoverned spaces in contravention of our policies, unquote. That's in Britain. And that couldn't possibly happen in the United States, could it? Dateline Washington, the National Security Agency discovered in October 2018 it was collecting information about domestic phone calls and text messages it had no legal authority to gather. That's according to newly disclosed document, documents, documents, underscoring the troubles the agency has had with using Americans' phone records to hunt for hidden terrorist cells. This reported in the New York Times. The, the report on MI5 was from The Guardian in England. The NSA over in this country, the USA, blamed the incident on an unidentified telecommunications provider. Agency technicians said the NSA had noticed a problem with the data that the company was sending and stopped accepting the information in order to fix it. The episode came to light this week. The uh, ACLU had obtained via a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit the uh, documents in question. The disclosure was the latest in a long string of episodes in which the NSA has experienced technical difficulties complying with rules when trying to handle large volumes of Americans' domestic phone records, is all. The agency currently does so on the US, under the USA Freedom Act, which expires at the end of this year unless Congress extends it. Bets? These documents further confirm that the surveillance program is beyond redemption and a privacy and civil liberties dis disaster, Patrick Toomey of the, LS of the ACLU said. 
The newly disclosed documents are heavily redacted reports about, quote, compliance incidents. There's that word again. The NSA periodically sends these reports to its overseers to report violations of surveillance program rules. One such report shows that in October of last year, NSA technicians observed an anomaly in which a particular phone company was sending a larger-than-expected number of some types of communication records whose description was censored. The NSA asked the firm to investigate. The company reported back it had discovered that an error dating to early October had been causing it to provide records the NSA, the agency, had not asked for and had no authority to collect. In March, a senior Republican congressional aide said in a podcast the NSA had not been using the system for some months, suggested the Trump administration might not even ask Congress to renew the Freedom Act provisions that authorized it to operate. Gregory Julian, a spokesman for the NSA, said the problem stemmed from, quote, the unique complexity of using company-generated business records for intelligence purposes, unquote, which is basically saying, let us collect the documents, let us snoop and not depend on the phone companies. An official familiar with internal deliberations said the NSA has made no explicit recommendation about whether the administration seek reauthorization, but the agency has delivered a bleak assessment, telling the White House the system is expensive, carries a continuing risk of rules violations, and has scant operational value. Just some sloppiness with secrets in the United States and Great Britain. No word yet on how the French are handling their secrets. Ah, the French. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, are you. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Not really. Microplastic uh, particles and colorants have been detected inside the commercially important Asian green mussel from a fishing harbor in Chennai, India, for the first time in a preliminary study. This is from Mangabay.com. Although several research articles have reported the presence of microplastics, even in fish and crustaceans of natural coastal waters in Europe and Japan, the present results are surprising as this has been reported for the first time from India says S.A. Naidu, a project scientist at the National Center for Coastal Research in India. Congratulations. Join the microplastics party. About 20% of people who use contact lenses flush them down the toilet or sink. I don't know how you flush something down the sink, but ask Inside Science. But when those contact lenses interact with wastewater treatment plants, they form microplastics that become ocean pollution. The overall trend in America is we're going towards contact lens use and away from glasses, says Charles Rolski, a researcher at Arizona State. And then within the contact lens market, it's a lot of daily disposables being used, he adds. Really? I didn't know that. You, you throw away your contact lens every... We thought it would be interesting to see how people dispose of their contact lenses because there are no instructions on the box. Well, sir, that's that's from the researcher. Please, sir, when you get a chance, tell me <laughs> what what box has instructions on disposing of the product inside. Because I would love... And so we conducted a kind of brief survey, he says, and we found around 20% of contact lens users that we surveyed were flushing them down the sink or toilet. That's Those are his words, Rolski. 
the researcher. The problem, he continues, is that contact lenses are going down the drain and interacting with wastewater treatment plants. And we've known for a while now that plastic and wastewater don't really interact very well. Basically, the interaction between lenses being flushed and a wastewater treatment plant creates microplastics. So we're finding new ways to create them. Just put on the box. Why don't they put on the box of the microplastics how to get rid of them as opposed to just the lenses? Scientists have for the first time shown that some wild corals are feeding on tiny shreds of plastic trash. This is from the National Geographic. Worse, the animals seem to prefer microplastics over their natural food. Well, who wouldn't? Come on. Tasty, crunchy, full of plastic goodness. Even true when the plastic is carrying bacteria that can kill the corals. But they don't know that. It's not on the box. The new study published in Proceedings of the Royal Society B Biological Sciences I know, nutty name for a journal focused on a temperate species of coral collected off Rhode Island, one that builds small clusters no larger than a human fist. Researchers say the findings suggest that more familiar Reef-building corals down in the tropics may also be consuming and preferring and being harmed by microplastics. New results adding to the growing sense that microplastics really are ubiquitous in the environment, from tall mountain peaks to the deepest ocean trenches. In the air, everywhere, and in the water. Many organisms from fish to birds have been found to eat small bits of plastic. So do humans through tainted water and food sources. We don't prefer it yet. But, you know, I'm, I'm getting the hankering. When Boston University coral biologist Randy Rochen, who led the new study, first started working in marine ecosystems, she didn't expect to focus on plastics. She was excited about stunning corals. But she says plastics keep interrupting the conversation with nature, and it's hard to ignore. You pick your ecosystem, you pick your organism, and you are most likely going to find microplastics, she says. She and her colleagues collected four colonies of a small coral that lives off the U.S. Atlantic coast from Massachusetts to the Gulf. They chose their site off Rhode Island because it was close to an urban environment and could be expected to pollute the water with plastic. Congratulations, Providence. You did as expected. In the laboratory, the researchers cut open the individual coral polyps, and counted the number of microplastics, more than a 100 small fibers in every polyp. They uh, presented lab-raised coral polyps with microbeads, those microplastics that until recently were used in soaps, cosmetics, and medications, at the same time as a natural food, brine shrimp eggs. Mm-mm. Too small to scramble. Every single polyp that was given the choice ate almost twice as many microbeads as brine shrimp eggs. After the polyps had filled their stomachs, they got stomachs? With microbeads, they stopped eating the shrimp eggs altogether. The microbeads, it may not need to be pointed out, have no nutritional value. I was totally shocked by the results, says a co-author of the study. They aren't just passively eating any particles that float within reach of their tentacles. They prefer plastic to actual food. The uh, ban on microbeads only went into effect a little over a year ago, and of course they will survive in the environment and pose a threat to corals for centuries. Guaranteed. Like uh, the billion-dollar profit for the Olympics. In an additional feeding experiment, the researchers placed the microbeads in seawater to cover them with a biofilm 
That's a thin layer of bacteria. That's uh, what happens in the ocean. So, uh, more than 48 hours after swallowing the microbeads so coated, the polyps spit them back out. The the bacteria they were coated with, in this case, was E. coli, but the E. coli persisted inside the coral's digestive cavity, and all coral polyps that ate the E. coli-laced microbeads died within two weeks. You killed coral polyps! E. coli is not common in the ocean, but many other microbes are, and they seem to be concentrated on the surface of microplastics. Ain't that nutty? Ain't that a kick in the head? And researchers say they may have identified a new kind of plastic pollution in the sea. They're calling it plastic crust. Yes, it's a portmanteau. What isn't these days? Scientists working in Madeira, a volcanic Portuguese island off northwest Africa, have found small patches of what looks like melted plastic encrusted on rocks along the shoreline. They first spotted the mostly blue and gray patches of various sizes, way back in 2016, according to Global News of Canada. Canada! They are now reporting the area the patches cover has increased substantially since then. Like the plastic colony is growing. Like that could happen. Tests show the material is our old friend polyethylene, the world's most widely used plastic. The crusts on a specific part of the shore are exposed at low tide. But who isn't? Scientists at Portugal's Marine and Environmental Sciences Center say they don't know yet where the plastic comes from or how it could affect marine life. But, you know, Semper Fi. Just one word. Microplastics. And now, just some news about bad banks. You know what a bad bank is in uh, the parlance of the financial world. That's where a bank has so much crummy, unpayable, unrepayable debt on its books that it would have to be closed down. So instead they um, segregate all of the um, crappy loans and put them into a repository known as a bad bank. But I've adopted the term to apply to banks. Goldman Sachs has offered $241 million to compensate Malaysia for Goldman Sachs' role in a multi-billion dollar financial scandal involving a Malaysian state fund. The Prime Minister of the Southeast Asian country described the amount of the offer as peanuts. The peanut industry should, I guess, be offended at this. The U.S. financial giant helped the state firm One Malaysia Development Berhad, 1MDB, to raise $6.5 billion way back in 2012 and 13, and collected higher than typical fees of $600 million for the two deals. Around $4.5 billion was later found to be missing from the fund, of which millions allegedly ended up in the personal bank accounts of Malaysia's former prime minister, Najib Razak, to you. What Goldman Sachs has offered is not adequate, says the new current Malaysian prime minister, Mahathir Mohamad, on uh, CNBC where he's attending the uh, summit of the uh, Southeast Asian nations. Mahathir said Malaysia's finance ministry will decide on an appropriate amount of compensation to demand from Goldman and said $250 million is peanuts. Goldman declined to comment. The bank has come under scrutiny in multiple jurisdictions for its involvement with 1MDB. U.S. prosecutors charged two former bankers from Goldman. Malaysia filed criminal charges against the firm itself 
Malaysian Finance Minister Lim Guan Eng said in January his country is seeking $7.5 billion from Goldman and called on the bank to, quote, have a heart, unquote. Maybe he's just not up on the firm's history. Friend. 
Direct from the virtual trading floor of Corium Slocum Oliver, this is Mind Your Own Business, the pulse of the economic and financial world delivered to you fresh each business year. I'm Mike Tuccinello on the virtual trading floor. Before he embarked on a round of meetings at the G20 summit, President Trump relaxed the more stringent tariffs he had previously announced would be applied to Chinese imports into the United States. He said he hoped this would convince the Chinese to resume talks. But that was the same reason he gave for applying the increased tariffs in the first place. The savvy investor might conclude the tariffs have some influence on trade negotiations with China, but it's not yet possible to know just what that influence might be. The electric car revolution is speeding ahead almost as fast as electric cars, but a new consortium has sprung up to deal with a problem unique to electric vehicles. And over at the Money Honey Desk, Sylvia Meal Argent has the story. Thanks, Mike. In the old days, oil and gas companies competed. Of course, in the real old days, they didn't. Now they're coming together again in a venture called Connextex. And the Vice President for Consumer Facing Relations at Connextex, Lester Jastro, is with me today at the Money Honey Desk to explain what it's all about. Welcome. Thanks, Sylvia. Nice desk. <laughs> so what is Connextex? And maybe even more important... Why is it? Good question. It's very simple. Connects Tax is nothing more than three major petroleum companies, ConocoPhillips, ExxonMobil, and Texaco, coming together to help the electric car revolution move forward. I know I know what you're going to ask. Why would petroleum companies want to do that? Well, actually, I already did ask that, but okay, why? Well, again, very simple. Mm-hmm. It's long past time for all of us to realize that electric cars are here to stay. In fact... They're here to move, but <laughs> I think you know what I mean. Yes. And that's great, and we all have to adjust to this new world, and, and that's where we in the world of petro progress can step in and lend a hand, or three. But electric cars, kind of by definition, don't use your products? <laughs> well, that's the common misperception, and that gets us to the why of Connextex. We combined have a mammoth research capability, and its first assignment was to help solve uh, one big problem with electric vehicles. Which is? Uh, Well, it's very simple. They're whisper quiet. (laughs) Well, that would seem to be an advantage in our increasingly noisy cityscapes. From a lifestyle-ian point of view, you're right on the money. Thanks. But uh, cities all over the country are trying to become more pedestrian-friendly as part of what all of us are doing to take on climate change and beat it. Mm -hmm. A pedestrian who might be looking right when an electric car is coming from the left, (laughs) it's a problem if you don't hear it coming. But so you're working on a way to... Make electric cars noisier? (laughs) Nobody wants that, Sylvia. Not even the mean old oil companies. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. We're just people like every other multinational corporate agglomeration. (laughs) But, of course, we have more than just two senses, us people. So what we at Connextex have been working on even more than 24-7 is a way for electric cars to signal their approach to the most basic sense all animals, including us humans, have. The sense of smell. The olfactory. Oh, no. We shut that down two decades. Right. The olfactory sense. So you'll know an electric car, even the quietest one, is approaching, thanks to Warnik. Warnik. I'm guessing that that's the name of a warning fragrance your consortium has developed? Well, I I told you that before the interview started. But yes, we engaged a wide spectrum of scientific expertise, ethically sourced, to find the perfect formula for, as as you put it, a warning fragrance. Well, how would you put it? Simply, we call it Warnique. Got it. 
What kinds of scientific expertise did you harness? <laughs> no harnesses, just a team pulling together. Mm. We had physicists, chemists, and, of course, petrochemical engineers. The uh, fragrance had to be strong enough that you could detect it from a great enough distance to get out of the way in plenty of time. Yet it had to disperse relatively quickly. If it remained potent for too long, it would basically be giving out false alarms. Mm-hmm. We didn't want it to be alluring like a perfume. Mm -hmm. We didn't want it to be mercaptan. That's the odor that's added to natural gas because people have learned that smells like a natural gas leak. So, you know, they wouldn't light a match, Mm -hmm. but they might not get out of the way. That doesn't help anybody. Cutting to the chase here, Mm -hmm. what did end up as Warnique? Very simply, a unique patented mixture of VOCs, uh, volatile organic compounds, Uh, they're not costly to make because they come right out of the wellhead at the same time as the petroleum products that we all use every day. In thousands of hours of uh, road testing in Arizona, where the low humidity is no friend of fragrance, uh, Warnique displays virtually 100% effectiveness, no matter how fast the electric vehicle is hurtling towards the robot pedestrian. Well, those sound like fun tests to watch. Mm-hmm. What exactly does Warnique smell like? We thought uh, the best thing to do was to keep it simple and obvious, mm-hmm. so it uh, smells very much like a diesel truck coming at you. Well, what's the market potential for Warnique? We think the sky's the limit. Uh, not even. Uh, we're asking federal authorities as a public safety measure to require all electric vehicles to be equipped with a Warnique alarm package, and we think we can achieve the rarest thing in Washington, bipartisan agreement. And that's what we at Come Next Tax call win-win. So, even if electric vehicles someday completely replace internal combustion vehicles? We still have a seat at the table. That's good news for those who like to see a full table. From the Money Honey Desk, I'm Sylvia Meal-Argent. And for this week, that's Mind Your Own Business. Support for this program comes in part from the Enterprise Foundation. Taking care of business is our business. Till next time, for the virtual trading floor of Corium Sobham Oliver, I'm Mike Tuccinello saying this week, mind the business of someone you love. So long.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm. Won't you? Just set a spell. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Strange bedfellows or natural allies? You be the judge. Officials from Saudi Arabia, the United States, and Iran allegedly cast doubt on U.N. scientists' findings and recommendations at a U.N. meeting, climate meeting in western Germany. The climate talks ended up with little progress being made. Environmental groups said Saudi Arabia, the United States, and Iran were blocking progress on fulfilling the goals of the Paris Climate Accord at that U.N. meeting in the city of Bonn. Saudi and U.S. delegates reportedly questioned scientific research by the U.N.'s Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that found limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius would be safer than a 2.0 degree limit. Saudi Arabia is the main protagonist in in this attack on science, although the U.S. has come to its aid, said Jan Koizig of Oxfam. The Saudi delegation also objected to including wording that welcomed the IPPC's findings or any mention of the scientific body's recommended emissions targets in a final text, according to Deutsche Welle, German newspaper, or actually broadcaster. Saudi Arabia, the U.S., and Iran are forming an unholy alliance of science deniers, according to Representative Greenpeace. Talks since 2015 when the Paris Accord was signed, have focused on how governments can reduce their own greenhouse gas emissions to meet the global target. The meetings in Bonn were to prepare for a high-level U.N. climate summit in Chile, Chile, later this year. Well, they got they got mountains in Chile. They can have a summit. Delegates failed to make significant progress on market mechanism measures that would allow countries to finance efforts to reduce emission in other countries while doing less themselves. High-emission countries also clashed with others over how to compensate countries likely to experience the worst effects of warming. The meeting ended with no agreement on how to raise the billions needed for a compensation fund. What is Saudi... I'll ask that question in a minute. Chile's environment minister urged the international community to take immediate action. We've been seeing all over the world what the effects of climate change are. He said it's not something that's going to happen a 100 more years. It's something that we're seeing right now. Oh, she said, Carolina Schmidt. The U.K. said this week it was the first country to adopt a net zero emissions target by 2050. The uh, Energy and Clean Growth Minister, Chris Skidmore, signed the pledge into law. I got a clean growth right here. Can you? Oh, no, you won't. Um, the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Iran. What could they possibly have in common? Besides, they all export oil. And... Deforestation will continue to chip away at the Amazon rainforest. 
The next several decades, climate change will speed up the process. The scenario is laid out in a study published this week with a near-extinction scenario for the South American forest occurring by 2050. Stick around, Jack. It may show. Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, has recently sought to remove environmental protections for the Amazon rainforest in order to open up mining and logging operations. Brazil holds the largest portion of the rainforest, and that could all be exacerbated by climate change, with tree species losing an average of 65% of their environment, and a total of 53% may be threatened, according to researchers from several universities in South America. Deforestation will destroy 19 to 35 percent of the Amazon's trees. Climate change will complete the destruction with another 31 to 37 percent dying off, according to that study published in the journal Nature. Why don't they just change the name of the journal to Man? (laughs) That's what they're writing about. Now, tropical forests like the Amazon play a key role in regulating atmospheric carbon dioxide levels, regulating the climate and safeguarding biodiversity. The true losses behind their degradation may be immeasurable, studies authors wrote. Biologists have warned for more than a century about the possible demise of the Atlantic forest, and yet only 12% of the original cover remains. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now onward, some news of our friend the Adam. Ohio lawmakers may have to decide by this weekend, the one we're living in right now, whether to bail out two northern Ohio nuclear power plants. Owner First Energy claims those plants are unprofitable and will soon have to close them without hundreds of millions of dollars in public subsidies. Exactly how much money are the two northern Ohio nuclear plants losing? Oh, First Energy Solutions says it can't reveal that to lawmakers or the public because the company is mired in bankruptcy proceedings, this is according to Cleveland.com. Hello, Cleveland.com. The company has provided all relevant information and testified to the Ohio General Assembly to its fullest extent regarding the unprofitability of the Ohio nuclear facility, said the spokesman for First Energy. So, state legislatures are considering legislation, House Bill 6, to keep the plants open by charging every residential electri- electricity customer in Ohio up to a dollar per month through 2026, but they have to rely on estimates, industry averages, and first energy solutions word instead of specific data about whether the plants are profitable and, if not much, how much of a subsidy they might need. If you can't trust first energy solutions, man, you are too cynical to live. The lack of specific information about the plant's profit margins have led to some odd scenes at the Ohio State House. Earlier this month, one anti-HB6 expert testified the plants are among the most profitable of their kind in the nation. Another expert, hired by First Energy Solutions, asserted the plants are losing money. So much for experts, and now, how about some apologies of the week? I'll serve them up fresh. We're so sorry. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio tweets, quote, I did not know the phrase I used in Miami earlier this week, quote, hasta siempre, unquote, was associated with Che Guevara, and I did not mean to offend anyone who heard it that way. I certainly not apologize, certainly apologize for not understanding that history. I only meant it as a literal message to the striking airport workers that I believe they would be victorious in their strike. 
Dayline Homestead, Pennsylvania, the owner of a restaurant at the waterfront, which is uh, near Pittsburgh, has published a public apology on social media for the actions of a now former employee. Management at Yokoso Japanese Steakhouse fired an assistant manager after he shared an anti-Semitic post on Facebook. The general manager of Yokoso said in a Facebook post, I would like to sincerely apologize for the action of one of my employees. It is inexcusable and nothing can make up for it. Please know that his comments and views do not reflect the values of the restaurant or its employees. The restaurant's manager told the Tribune Review in Pittsburgh, the former employee shared a meme with the wording, Jewish bunk beds for sale, with a photo of the interior of an oven. The former employee, Stephen Geyer, told the Tribune Review, his eyesight is not very good, and he misread the meme as saying something about Danish bunk beds. Geyer was fired. But he couldn't really read the firing notice, so he still shows... No. A Louisiana mayor is apologizing more than 50 years later for Shreveport's mistreatment of the late singer Sam Cooke. Cooke traveled to Shreveport. That was his first mistake. For a performance in 1963, according to an investigation by a local KSLA, Cooke made reservations to stay at a Holiday Inn just north of the city's downtown. He was turned away because he was black. At the city's annual Let the Good Times Roll Festival... Last weekend, Mayor Adrian Perkins issued a formal apology on behalf of Shreveport and presented Cook's daughter with a key to the city. Quote, we need to come to terms with our past so we can move forward in a positive way, he said. Cook and three members of his group were arrested later that evening after leaving the Holiday Inn for, quote, blowing their car horn loudly and interrupting other guests, according to the Shreveport Journal way back in 1963. But a close friend of Cook's told KSLA the honking was due to a malfunction on the car, Police held Cook and the, fu- the others for five hours, eventually releasing them each on $102 bail. Author Peter Goralnik, who wrote a bio of Cook, told KSLA the incidents in Shreveport inspired Cook to write his important civil rights era song, A Change Is Gonna Come. We now await the mayor of Shreveport's apology for stealing the phrase, Let the Good Times Roll. From the Lens NOLA, of which I'm a member of the board, Orleans Parish School Superintendent Henderson Lewis Jr. this week blasted John F. Kennedy High School and the New Beginning Schools Foundation, a charter school outfit, the the nonprofit that runs Kennedy, amid a grade-fixing scandal and investigations that have rocked students at the high school. Lewis called for a criminal investigation into the school and said the district will conduct a student record audit of every Orleans Parish School District High School. They're all charters now. First and foremost, on behalf of the district, I would like to apologize, he said, as he addressed school board members and the public. His remarks came a week after it was revealed that nearly half the students in the school's 2019 graduating class will not graduate, did not graduate, due to, in part, staff malfeasance. Due to the careless and reckless actions of the adults you trusted at JFK, you should be celebrating your senior graduation this month, but instead you have been forced to question the certainty of your future, he said, calling the incident shameful and intolerable. Suspended Kansas City radio host Kevin Keatsman posted a two-minute, 20-second audio clip to Twitter, to, to Twitter apologizing for the comments he made on air this week, tying Kansas City Chiefs coach Andy Reid's parenting abilities to a um, 
team situation in the recording. The Between the Lines host on Sports Radio 810 WHB said he is deeply sorry I offended so many people. Mostly I'm sorry if I hurt Coach Reed, a man I respect greatly. He deserves better than to have something like this happen that brings up terrible memories. During his Monday broadcast, Keatsman was speaking about the Chiefs' response to allegations of child abuse against Tyreek Hill when he implied Reed's parenting skills influenced his coaching abilities. The radio station posted a statement on its website announcing Keatsman's indefinite suspension. He's been hosting Between the Lines for 20 years, vice president and sports director of the radio station. This is on me. I'm paid as a broadcaster to be concise in what I say. My words on Monday's show left open way too many interpretations. I'm the only person responsible for that and the only person to blame. I'll learn from this mistake and I'll work hard to do better. And I hope one day to regain the trust of Coach Reed and the Chiefs organization. He ended his apology by saying he tried to contact Reed earlier to speak with him father to father and personally apologize for any pain I may have caused him but was told the coach was unavailable. I hope he will accept my apology, but I understand if I'm not completely forgiven, he said, adding that he hopes to be back soon. Who doesn't? Brooklyn Bazaar, the three-year home of Skankfest NYC, released a statement regarding Louis C.K.'s appearance on their stage last weekend. The venue implied they would have stopped the comedian from performing in their space had they had advance notice he would be appearing. Their statement also indicates that once they did become aware that Louis C.K. was planning to perform, they felt that interfering would put their staff in danger because of the large crowd. That's always a danger. The venue spokesperson apologized to their staff members and to the music department and announced plans to vet future events more closely, indicating that his performance at the event made it an unsafe space for their employees. At Skankfest... They had lined Houston customer at a Houston restaurant said he was stereotyped and insulted by an employee who called him fat and gay. The owners of the restaurant explained the server was trying to identify the customer who placed the order. Maybe give them numbers. <laughs> you know, that would remove a lot of this. A photojournalist has apologized after being accused of faking an award-winning series of photos that purportedly show hitmen in Honduras carrying out violent acts. F-Stoppers published a report that accuses Swiss-Italian photographer Michelle Crameri of staging shots and publishing the photos with fake captions. The report is based on evidence and statements provided both by fellow photographers and the Honduran fixer who helped connect Crameri to gang members during four trips the photographer made to Honduras between 2015 and 2016. I am sorry for what happened, and I really like to take full responsibility for it, absolving everyone else of all blame. The photographic agency, Parallelo Zero, frequently asked me in good faith to guarantee the authenticity and ethical nature of all the situations that were photographed, and I always assured them that the incriminating photos were not the result of posed situations that had been set up. But I must, however, admit now that in light of what has recently emerged, this wasn't true. So I'd like to say sorry to everyone involved. Unquote the photographer. Deadline Manhattan, Kansas, an organization that sponsors an all-male Kansas student mock government, apologized after this year's teenage governor proposed eliminating the constitutional amendment that gave women the right to vote. Teenager from Leavenworth (laughs) made the proposal in the final moments of his term during the annual Boys State Gathering at Kansas State University, according to the Kansas City Star. The American Legion sponsors Boys State programs in most states, the Auxiliary sponsors a separate girls' state program. 
They're aimed at teaching teenagers about government. So far, so good. A small number of Hong Kong protesters handed out flyers and bowed passers-by this week to apologize for a demonstration that jammed the entrance to a government tax office for nearly two hours the previous day. They said they were trying to maintain public support for future protests. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. What do you know? That really is the end of this week's edition of the show. I'll spend all week ignoring my responsibilities to gather material and then be back here next week at the same time on the radio over these same stations and at the time of your choice on the audio device of your choice. Hey, Alexa, would you tell Hey Google to tell Hey Alexa to talk to Siri about all this? And it would be just like if they could all get together, just like Henry Kissinger would like, if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts and the playlist of the music. You hear and have heard here all at harryshearer.com. And me, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station, The Change is Easy Radio Network. So long. From the home of the homeless.